Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, your Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the cultured Craig Dedrick, the esteemed Eric Heimel, and the fabulous Fabrice Bulakia. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Jared and Phil, and we're going to talk about playing RPGs based on shows, movies, books, and more. In other words, playing with canon. Before we dive into that main topic, though, we're going to ask our Get to Know a Gnome question, which, on that topic, is what is a setting you've never seen in an RPG that you would love to see brought to the table? Jared, I'm going to start with you. Okay. This was funny because I had a couple ideas at first, and every time I came up with them, it was like, oh, no, wait, there actually is an RPG either out or on the way for that. So (laughs) after doing a bit of a dive on that, I settled in on the Greenbone Saga books from Fonda Lee. It's a supernatural uh, wuxia series. It's basically, it's modern times, but it's not Earth. It's an alternate culture, and, you know, people bond to uh, Jade, and they get superhuman powers, and it's a really neat kind of noir, superhero-ish wuxia storyline all mixed together, and I think it'd make a really cool RPG. That does sound very cool. How about you, Phil? I'm going to go with my White Whale. A uh, a game that I have talked about designing, actually just fixing up the rules to play it. This is the 1998 UPN show, Seven Days. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this show or not. Mm-hmm. I do not. I will give a brief synopsis for any of our listeners who have not seen this show. This is a show where the U.S. government is in possession of a time machine that can only go back seven days in the past. Otherwise, it gets too far off course and gets lost. And they use it to retroactively stop national disasters, events, and crises by, like, something would happen, they would investigate it, then they would take their agent, stuff him into the time machine, (laughs) send him back up to seven days, where he would come back and brief everybody on what was going to happen, and then they would take action to stop it. <laughs> so it's it's essentially, it's a gumshoe game. Yeah. <laughs> except that you have to break the game into two parts where all of the investigative moves have like time limits because there's only so much you can investigate as the seven-day window closes. And then there's an action phase where you send, you know, the person back with all the information, and then you actually try to thwart the the attempt that sounds really cool and it definitely does sound gumshoe because you were talking about it and i'm like what's the what's the gumshoe game about time travel it sounds a little like that just much <laughs> that's more that's time watch i actually think if i was gonna do it and i and i say think i'm gonna do it because i am gonna do it one day um <laughs> it will be with knight's black agents because it, mm-hmm. it actually if you watch the show it actually fits knight's black agents very well the main plot device is this the twist is this time machine thing where yeah it's basically they're solving mysteries and thwarting dangers but they've broken it like you get to see the disaster then you get to discover what led to the disaster and then they go back in time and stop the disaster it's perfect it's a really cheesy show from the 90s but i have it never i've never let go of it so (laughs) there's actually a fair number of cheesy shows from the 90s that had really interesting concepts (laughs) how about you Ange? mine i actually just finished playing the video game the other day 
I want to play in the Horizon world. Horizon Zero Dawn, Horizon Forbidden West. I've even gotten to the point where I messaged my my friend that has been playing it kind of parallel to me. I'm like, okay, here's the PCs. We're going to have an Osiron tanker. We're going to have a Tanakh chaplain. We're going to have a Utaru archer. We're going to have a Quen scout. We're going to have a you know, a this and a that, and we're going to do it. And like, she's like, I'm doing the art. <laughs> Let me just say this. If this game came out in 5e, I would play it. Like <laughs> that is like, I normally grumble every time a property comes out only in 5e, whatever. If, if horizon came out in, even if it comes out in 5e, I will play this game. 100%. My thought right now is to actually do it in savage worlds. Cause it's super flexible. I know Savage Worlds. I could make this happen. I even have the idea of having a skill specifically called Focus, whether or not the character can actually use a Focus and get information out of it. I was thinking that was an interesting idea. (laughs) Spend a Benny to slow down time. Oh. Right? Spend a Benny to slow down time to get like an extra action or, or extra dice to your roll. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like... <laughs> Actually, that that extra time is all just me aiming because you, you got to raid that entire. You got to raid the entire skill tree of those games and like <laughs> turn all of those into into bonuses, right? Like those all have to be moves in the game. Oh, I, but th- this is this is my game, and and I'm already talking about. I may be bringing this to the table sometime this summer or fall as a a, a thrown together Savage Worlds game. We'll it's genius! It's genius! It's so good. That game is so good if you've never played it. Like I, I have not played the new one. I've I've only started the first one before I started. I got uh, lost in playing uh, No Man's Sky, but <laughs> oh, it's just the whole. It's just amazing. It's it's Such so so well done. So well done. I if if I don't move us off of this topic, I will wax poetic. <laughs> that that'll be what the, the show game. will be about tonight. Yeah. yeah. And then I'll be sitting here going, yeah, it's on my wish list. I have. <laughs> All right, let's get Jared back in the game here. Okay, so speaking of Jared, Jared has recently started talking about starting up a Star Trek game. And I know that Phil is super into Star Trek, and I fully plan on playing in Jared's game. I think he's on board with this. So let's talk about playing RPGs that boldly go where no one has gone before, or at least, let's be honest, have gone many times before. Playing in existing settings. It has existed since the early days of RPGs, and it speaks of our loves of all things Trek. The very first licensed RPG ever published was Heritage's Star Trek Adventure Gaming in the Final Frontier way back in <laughs> 1978. Now, there are generally three ways I think we can approach this topic. The first is using something as inspiration and a springboard but not necessarily sticking too close to the specifics of the source material. Second, playing in the setting, but with completely original characters. And then third, finally, playing in the setting with the well-known characters from those stories. Like I say, every time I bring Firefly to the table, people come just looking for a second season episode. (laughs) So let's talk about this. Phil, I'm going to throw it to you first, and we're going to start talking about using other material as inspiration. Yeah. So when you're looking at other, like when you are inspired by canon material, but you are, you don't want to run the canon game. And there's a number of reasons you might want to do that. Like you might not want to get into the whole like canon wars about, you know, whether this is true or not, or maybe 
it's a canon that you really like, but you're not the expert at it in your group and you don't want to like, you know, you don't want to throw down your Star Trek game. And then somebody's like, you know, sitting at the table the whole time, like, well, actually, in episode, you know, you may want to avoid that or for any number of reasons, right? You just don't want, you want, you want a game to feel like Star Trek, for instance, but not actually be Star Trek. So the way you do this is a technique that I think is an established term on the internet called filing off the serial numbers. Um, we've talked about this on Pandas Talking Games. I've talked about it on Misdirected Mark. But essentially what you're doing is you are removing all the media-specific trappings from either concepts, items, characters, whatever, so that they're not recognizable as the original piece of media. But in turn, you've kept the concepts so that they're playable in your game and you just basically like you repaint them with your setting mm -hmm. so like for instance i'm running this game in cortex prime right now that's called ox it's it, long story about the name but don't worry about the name and it's about a group of super geniuses traveling around the galaxy heading off disasters on planets using their super genius skills it is in a nutshell in some ways star trek <laughs> Like they are basically just flying around. There's no Federation. There's no Enterprise. Like they have a ship. It's a sentient ship. So it's actually more like Discovery. But none of like there's no Federation. There's no recognizable species in the game or anything. But it is definitely heavily inspired by those Trek episodes. Like, oh, what's the one? Oh, the one where Q loses his powers and the uh, moon is about to decay and fall into the planet and they have to figure out how to like move the moon. Right. Those are like those are like all like that's the kind of inspiration for this game. And it's pretty unrecognizable because I've taken away the Federation. I've taken away any canon characters, any of the technology, but I've kept the spirit of that game by looking at what made those episodes interesting and fun and just peeling off that layer of canon and just transporting those things into a different world and kind of you know, wrapping them up in the, in that campaign setting. And I, I think, I think we can also talk about the fact that it is also very easy to do this type of thing, taking inspiration from some of the material and using it as like an adventure creation, you know, mm -hmm. adventure prompt rather than just a whole campaign. I, mm -hmm. I ran a, a D and D game that was essentially borrowing the plot from, um, uh, Stardust, the Neil Gaiman story. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it was they had to find a MacGuffin to prove who could be king or queen or, you know, just the person in charge. And like, I have stolen this this plot concept many times. I've only ever had one person go, hey, this is the plot from <laughs> Stardust, isn't it? Hey, like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, we do this all the time in our games, regardless of whether or not they're based on a specific material. We take inspiration from many places. Mm -hmm. I actually am playing a doctor in um, uh, in a traveler game currently who I told everyone she's based on Dr. Chakwas from Mass Effect. And they're all like, who? And I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, actually, you bringing up Traveler puts me in mind of something that's kind of interesting to me, which is earlier in the hobby, you would have broad genre RPGs, like Traveler being science fiction, and people would adapt that to be more Star Trek feeling or more Star Wars feeling. 
And now you have things that are not based on properties that still emulate more specific genres. Like, for example, Scum and Villainy is already a serial numbers filed off version of Cowboy Bebop if you play it a certain way. Or Firefly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that's what's kind of interesting to me is, you know, we've got like subgenres even now to the point to where you don't have to file as many <laughs> serial numbers off because other people have already done it. <laughs> when I was reading the opening information in Traveler, one of the interesting bits they included was like, you can use us to play any science fiction game you want. But if you want, here's our setting. And the setting is so deep and long that like okay we're we're in that setting i don't know it but that's what we're playing but i thought it was interesting they they kind of threw out that caveat you can use us to play anything you want please <laughs> yeah and i mean the thing to keep in mind from outside of publishing right the the reason why games have the serial numbers filed off is cuz licensing is difficult and expensive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so when you do see licensed properties those come with actually um, a whole bunch of contractual obligations as well as money and, and all of those things. Whereas like Scum and Villainy gets all the advantages of Cowboy Bebop and Firefly without having to pay any publishers, negotiate contracts, have editorial overview, all of mm -hmm. those things. And mm -hmm. as we have seen different uh, licensed properties dance around different companies, for reasons other than just longevity and time, you know, it is it is definitely a game that only I think only the hardiest of publishers can actually play. <laughs> yeah. Also, the nice thing is if you play Kids on Brooms, you don't tarnish your soul by buying into an actual property that <laughs> that's actually horrible. Sorry. <laughs> Bravo, Jared. Good plug. Good plug. Well done. Play Strixhaven as well. Just, also yes. just, yeah. yeah, that makes me think back to the days when I was in college and we would play mutant kids with superpowers at a boarding school. It was totally not named Xavier's. Something completely different. We were Starts in with an a, Boston. So... We weren't in New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know, moving on. As long as it wasn't Massachusetts Academy. No, no, no. I, that came later. I played in Massachusetts Academy later. Actually, speaking of that, let's move on to the second option, which is playing in the setting, but with completely original characters. Jared, I wanted to throw this one to you to start off with, because <laughs> I know you have done this a couple of different times with different oh, yeah. properties. Definitely. I mean, I've run a Star Trek campaign this way. I've run multiple Star Wars campaigns this way. I ran DC Adventures, where all of the players made up their own characters. I ran Dresden Files, Warhammer 40k, which is kind of weird because it's a tabletop role-playing, but it's also licensed to be RPG, which is a whole other thing. We played the old West End games Ghostbusters, which, you know, we had our own because Yes, you could play as them, but it was also kind of fun having your own franchise and dealing with that aspect of it, too. Um, I had people play in Dishonored, and I have played Marvel games, which both have used and have not used existing Marvel characters. So, yeah, there's lots going on there. I think for me as a GM, and I don't know if this is as true of the players all the time. Sometimes I think it may be. 
I get a certain buzz off of feeling like I have told a story that fits in that universe. Mm -hmm. You know, if the moral of the episode comes across and all of the uh, players start acting like a Starfleet crew and it doesn't take any prompting or anything, it just happens. I love that. And at the end of the session, I'm like, this is why I'm running this game. Because settings have feelings to them. I mean, it's that, you know, that's the main reason to do that sort of thing. But I think you also have to be prepared to know that, one, you're going to have some players that aren't as familiar with all of the tropes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I've ha I had Star Trek players that were familiar with the tropes. They weren't necessarily familiar with all of the details. Like, they knew Star Trek from what usually happens and how a story progresses and all that. But if you ask them specific questions about, you know, what Faltor Pan is, they're not going to say that they know that. They have no idea about that. But the point is, they understood how, like, an episode would progress. But the thing is, you need to be able to work with people for things like that. And you also need to realize that if somebody's having fun, maybe not playing with those tropes, that you can't just hammer it into them and say, no, play right. <laughs> because you're all there collaboratively. You remind me of a game I played at Gen Con. We played Masks. Now, when I play Masks, I'm playing Young Justice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what I'm going for when I run it and when I want to play it. And I can think of two games where <laughs> we had one game at Gen Con where a guy was playing somebody straight out of the Snyder Murderverse. And it was <laughs> really hard. Like, the GM just didn't know what to do with this guy. And was trying to do the thing of the GM says yes and, you know, letting the player do their thing without understanding how badly that was impacting the rest of the gameplay for everyone else at the table. And then I had an experience where I was the GM where I had a player who was playing Teen Titans Go. And it was just like, <laughs> it's like it's, it's one of the issues you can get where you have something yeah. inspired by a thing, but not specifically that thing. You can get players who are on the outside who aren't quite aligned with what's going on. Yeah, I had a Star Wars game at one point in time, and one of the people that was playing in the game is somebody that often was in our D&D &D games at the local game store. And when I was, you know, we were basically having a session zero, which is why it's important you have a session zero. He basically wanted to play like Crichton from, uh, from Farscape in a Star Wars game. And I had to say, I don't want to ruin your fun. My thought process was not to go that far outside of what Star Wars has already presented as character types. And when you can do that in the session zero, it's a lot better than getting into like your third session and realizing, oh crap, he made he made a uh, Crichton from first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that a lot of the the settings you talked about like Star Trek, Star Wars, the Marvel Universe, the DC Universe, is there is a lot of room in those yes. settings for players to bring in their own ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super important. I mean, let's be honest, this is all kind of our own special version of fan fiction. <laughs> oh, well, oh, 100%. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's exactly the reason you do it, right? Like, you want to take your spin. I know as a GM, like I am frustrated director, right? Like I want to direct a Star Trek episode. So I'm going to write and run a Star Trek game that feels like a Trek episode because yeah, that's my, you know, that's my fan fiction. Absolutely. 
I have to give a shout out to my friend Carl, who has been GMing an on and off again Star Trek campaign for me and some other friends. And he has tried to introduce the mechanics of the system to us, but we keep playing Star Trek too well and solving things with intelligence and diplomacy. And like he had to force us into a starship battle just to show how the mechanics worked. And then when he was going to force us into ground, you know, like face to face combat, we basically completely circumvented him by doing something <laughs> wild and scientific to stop everything from happening. And he's like, I can't, you guys are too, too, too good at doing Star Trek. I can't win with you guys. I think the only character that's been shot is when we shot the doctor with a stun gun to basically make him stop doing a thing he was doing <laughs> under mind control. Anyway. Moving on, our third option in this playing in canon is playing the characters that come from these stories. Jared, I know you mentioned you've run you've run Marvel and DC with canon characters. Oh, yeah. Well, and yes, I have um, with players playing them. But I, I the other thing I was going to say is just from the GM side of things, if I'm running DC, I want to play Lex Luthor. If I am running Marvel, I want to play dr doom so even from the gm standpoint it's not just it's the marvel universe and all the stuff exactly i want to use those toys as my villains when i'm using that type of situation but you know when you have people that are playing existing characters and it, this came up actually in marvel superheroes a lot of people said this you know were kind of surprised when marvel heroic role-playing was kind of expecting you to play the characters but like all of the old adventure modules that came out for marvel superheroes also kind of gave you the regular characters as pregens like they were usually set up as a type of adventure like this is an x-men adventure these are the x-men you should probably use for it you know this in, is in fact sometimes that was the draw as a kid was oh yeah like, like you, you know i i don't even know if i ever ran the breeder bombs right the mm -hmm. the, the adventure that yeah. that introduced the x-men i just needed the x-men like I needed oh, yeah. the stats for the X-Men. <laughs> so like I quickly scooped them. That's why if you were, and I'll, and I'll let you, I'll let you continue. Oh, yeah. second, but no, wait, I... As a kid, the Holy Grail of Marvel superheroes adventures was secret wars mm -hmm. <laughs> because it was full of, it had a like separate, if I remember correctly, right? it wasn't like a separate book of, of stats. Yeah, I think so. And you know, the, the one set of adventures that I actually ran, whether I ran them right or not, I don't know. But that I actually ran were the, uh, the, I, I was calling the Cosmos Cubed ones because that was one of the adventures, but it was basically, it was a big cosmic adventure and all the heroes were supposed to be people like Doctor Strange and Silver Surfer and Thor and Beta Ray Bill. And those are all the people that they gave you for the, uh, the pregens. And it predated, it was on the store shelves about the same time that they brought Thanos back for the Infinity Gauntlet. But the adventures were out like a couple months before that. So it was like, oh my gosh, I have Thanos stats in here. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things I find with playing the characters from these settings, I much prefer it as a one shot to a campaign. If I'm playing in a campaign, I want to kind of, it's that fan fiction thing again. I want to create my own character that lives in that world. But if I'm going to a convention and I sit down at a table where we're playing the Justice League, give me, give me Diana, mm -hmm. give, give, give me Wonder Woman, <laughs> she's mine. You know, it's, it's, I very much love playing these canon characters 
in one shots. There's a few small exceptions, but for the most part, one shots. I, I think what's really good, and this is your you bring up a really good point there, because for one shots, a lot of times when people sign up for things, especially at conventions, they come in and they don't question anything about their character if they know what they're getting into. Like if you signed up for this and I say I'm running a Marvel heroic event and we're going to be playing the X-Men, people usually don't sit down and not go, who's this Wolverine guy? You know, that's yeah. that's usually not an issue there. And I had just two people that did a great job on one night of the convention playing Cyclops and Wolverine and constantly just bickering back and forth at each other. And then the next day they played Wiccan and Hulkling. And it was <laughs> it was amazing because they were like full on couple goals in that next session. Let, let, let's <laughs> be clear. Great. Let's be clear. The distance between Cyclops and Wolverine <laughs> and Wiccan and Hulkling is not as far as you think it is. That is like one angry kiss away from like 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 the pasta boiling over on the stove. Like, and the it's... panel has Gene in the background oh. going, what? but i mean yeah for the one shots people know those tropes so when they take a character they take the characters that they know and they understand they're gonna go Mm -hmm. i can dig into this character because i know how this character works but what i did notice when i was running civil war i had people that even when they knew those characters they would stop once in a while and go well I don't know, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should be playing Tony more like he was in the Civil War comics. And I'm like, no, this is our version. This isn't the mm-hmm. 616. Play him the way you want to. So it did in a campaign. I think it weighed a little bit more on people than it does in one shots where it's just like, I'm just going to hit those, the big, you know, hot button things that I know about this character. I will say as a, as both a GM and a player, I find so much joy in sitting down at a table where you have a bunch of players get into those known characters and just play off of those relationships. You know, like I said, you know, like last, one of the last times I got to play Wonder Woman, I had a friend playing Superman and like, we had one of those moments where I dove in and took a shot for him. And he's like, Diana, no! And just like the the dynamic of all of this was fantastic. Or the times I've run Firefly and we spend over an hour with just role-playing with them, you know, playing off of, bouncing off of each other, getting that second season episode they never (laughs) got before. You know, and like, just you, a lot of these times with these well-known characters in these well-known settings... You don't even need to flesh out like a full complicated adventure. You just need you need the the bumper bowling to give them the lane that they're in <laughs> and like just see where the players take it. Just see where they take it. Sometimes that's all you need. Any other thoughts about this topic? No, I'll let go of what you said. I I think it's I when it comes to campaigns, I always want to make my own characters. And actually, I want to distance myself from canon characters. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, like maybe if I'm doing, and I guess it'll depend on the genre. If I'm doing Star Wars, you'll never see the canon characters, right? Yeah. Like you'll never Star see Star Wars. Luke. I don't like pulling in canon characters in a Star Wars campaign. <laughs> exactly. You'll never see those. the movies need to stop pulling in the canon characters. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like for uh, Star Trek, like if the Enterprise passes by or shows up like as you know in a cameo or something 
I'm probably okay with that because that happens all the time in the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know, like there's something about the canon that says like how much overlap, like the canon also will tell you how much overlap there is with the canon characters. Like if I'm running a Marvel game and everybody makes their own team, yeah, you're going to meet the Avengers. That mm-hmm. happens in every comic book. <laughs> in fact, it's like a rite of passage. Usually they start by fighting. Of course. Of course. Yeah. You got, I mean, you got to do all the tropes, right? There's a misunderstanding. You're fighting, then you sort it out kind of thing. Yeah, no, and and so I think with each one, like it depends on it depends on the game, but I think a lot of settings will kind of hint to how much crossover you need. My personal preference is to not cross over a lot mm-hmm. for certain for those certain genres. Like in, if I was going to run Firefly, you're probably not going to meet Mal and the gang. Right. You'll hear about them, you know, but mm-hmm. you probably won't meet them. You'll just be off doing your own thing. I think this is why, like, uh, like take Dresden Files, for example. A lot of campaigns for Dresden Files, they pick a different city. Mm-hmm. Let mm-hmm. Harry have Chicago. We're over in Boise. You know, just mm-hmm. some other place that you can set some supernatural shenanigans going on that the players can get into without it having to be tied up in... A known character's arc. Um, actually, another thing I wanted to mention real quick is with using a canon setting and canon characters, you have to worry about spoilers. You have to be careful of where do you set this. Uh, this is one of the issues that I'm trying to wrestle with with the idea of doing a Horizon game. Mm-hmm. I want to set it after the end of Forbidden West, but a lot of people won't have played Forbidden West <laughs> by the time I bring it to the table. Do I like hide away all of the big information? You know, you can't do that completely because there are new 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 groups introduced in it. So, you know, how much do you do with the spoilers of the thing? Now, now some things like Star Wars, Star Trek, it's like there's enough room that you don't need to worry about spoilers, but yeah. other properties you do need to be mindful of that when you bring it to the table. Yeah, when I was running my uh, DC Adventures game, I said everything has happened in this version of the DC universe up to Final Crisis, and that's our divergence point. So if you know something going into there, you're fine, but everything doesn't have to go the way it went after that point. Yeah, and I think that's actually probably another good tip is if you are running something canon and you want to take the pressure off yourself, that the thing you just said, the divergence point, right? Mm -hmm. Like state what is like state where your campaign starts and that have that discussion like, hey, you know, we're going to diverge off of this. Or if you're playing like Marvel, you can just, you know, you can quickly say like, this is not 616. Yes. This is, you know, this is a different universe that diverges from this event. In fact, I had a friend who would regularly run Marvel Saga games set in the Marvel Universe, but it was a slightly... This was pre-MCU, so it was a slightly more realistic superhero setting than we had seen, and we would all make our own characters. The canon characters existed sometimes, maybe, if he (laughs) wanted to use them or not, but it was definitely Marvel, but it wasn't necessarily the same it wasn't 616 it wasn't Mm -hmm. the the known marvel universe that everyone Mm. knows i ran the breakout event like a million times because that was in the core uh, book for marvel heroic (laughs) but i swapped out century for hulk as as the hero that was you know locked up in the raft because 
One, I didn't want to explain to anybody that didn't know who Sentry was who Sentry was, because that's just more than anyone needs to deal with. Sure. Sentry's <laughs> fascinating, but man, is that complicated. That's yeah. not a one that's not a one-shot character. Yeah, and Hulk's a lot easier to say. Banner was worried that Hulk was going to damage things, so he turned himself in to be locked up at the raft. Yeah. yeah. Much easier than explaining Sentry. <laughs> yeah, that works. That makes sense. Any other thoughts on this? I think we've said a lot. I don't know that there's there's too much more to dive into. I mean, it's the three of us. We could talk for hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the cool part is, look, if you can find the license, if you can find a licensed game for it, um, give it a try and see how the designers have taken a shot at it. If you really want a challenge, go and like find all of the old Marvel games and see how each one of them uh, emulates Marvel differently. Yeah. But yet still kind of gets there. So <laughs> Yeah. We've been talking about doing that. We've been talking about having a um a weekend of Marvels where <laughs> we each run a different Marvel. Like I'll run Saga, Jerry would run Face Rip, Chris would run Marvel Heroic. Like just just to try like like just to see like like this is what each one of these played like. Isn't there supposed to be another one coming? Yes. Um, yes. And there's announced. also another one I didn't mention. There's the Yeah, the weird, one that was actually published by Marvel. The the <laughs> one with the tokens and the re, like yeah. the resource tokens or I don't know. I don't remember that one. I just remember Face Rip Saga and Heroic. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is I'm very proud that my players in my other Star Trek game that had never run into Admiral Nechev did not like her and when they watched episodes with her they continued to not like her. So I did my job well. <laughs> Excellent job. Excellent job. So I think we can get it. We can start getting out of here. This mm -hmm. show is fun by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can be a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link, the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by all of the characters from everything you've ever watched that you wanted to bring to the table because there are so many, so many. I have my own female version of Legolas. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> if you're enjoying the Gnome Cash, you'll probably like many of the other Mr. Eric and Mark shows. Here's one to check out. On the bonus experience, Ray and Monica are two old friends exploring gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, at GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Gnomes, is there anything else you'd like to point our listeners towards? Well, you can find any review that I don't put on Gnomes Do at whatdoiknowjr.com. And I'd also like to point out, I think this will still be running by the time this uh, podcast gets published. DriveThruRPG and Dungeon Masters Guild are both doing Ukraine relief bundles that are donating to Doctors Without Borders. So you may want to go there and check those things out. Awesome. So do you think we avoided the stew this week? Is somebody doing a canon version of Hell's Kitchen with Gordon Ramsay as a character? Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. He basically wanted to play, like, Michael Crichton from, uh, um... Oh my gosh, why can't I remember the name of the show? I remember the, astro the astronaut's name. Anyway, from Farscape. Oh, he wanted oh, to play... John. John Crichton. John Crichton. Michael Crichton is the author. The author correct. John Crichton. <laughs> <laughs>